The following sermon is by Dr. Chuck Register, Interim Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. This morning I want to share with you a two-part series. We'll start this morning. We'll finish next Sunday morning entitled Life Traits of a Godly Patriarch. October 2014 my dad, Leonard B. Register, Jr., fell in his home. At the age of 87, his doctors had told him to always use a walking cane when he moved about inside the house, outside the house. But dad was a man filled with pride and self-respect, and a walking cane for dad just, it was a millstone around his neck. And so dad refused to use the walking cane that his doctor had suggested. He was walking into the kitchen and he fell. He, he lost his balance. He fell. And, and when he fell, he bumped his head on the floor of the kitchen. Mom helped dad up, got him over into his chair. and She began to check him out. It looked as though dad had simply bruised an arm when he fell. His speech was fine. His motor skills were fine. Mother didn't even mention it to the three boys. But about 48 hours later, dad's speech got a little slurred. There was some weakness in his extremities. She called my middle brother who lived close by. He called the ambulance. The ambulance picked up dad, carried him to the emergency room, and dad was diagnosed with a subdural hematoma, a blood clot on the brain. My brother called me and he said, listen, this is pretty serious. You, you may want to come home. And so I began to drive toward home, and when I got to the hospital, uh, Dad was still conscious. He, he recognized me. As a matter of fact, as the nurse was making him roll over, he said, Chuck, would you make her stop? <laughs> I told Dad to behave himself, and we exchanged love for one another verbally. Within 24 hours, Dad was unconscious. The blood clot had continued to grow to create more pressure on the brain. My brothers began to take the day shift at the hospital. I would take the night shift at the hospital sitting with dad to make sure whatever he might need, we could try to provide. Thursday of that week, as I walked into my dad's hospital room that evening, I noticed that dad's numbers on the equipment seemed to be a little lower than they had been the day before. I was enjoying my fast food that I had gathered on the way to the hospital when the door opened and my niece's pastor came in and he inquired about dad and had prayer with me and I walked him to the door and said goodbye. I closed the door and I turned and I noticed there was an expression on dad's face that I had not seen the entire week. I walked over to dad's bedside. He was burning up with fever. His breathing was very labored. I began to stroke his hair. And I just simply said, Dad, if you're ready, it's okay. If you're ready to go to heaven, don't you worry about Mom. Mom will be fine. Your three sons will make sure she'll never want for anything in her life. If you're ready to go, it's okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I had not finished that sentence 
when my dad breathed his last, all the monitors went to zero. I knew dad was no longer with us in that moment, but instinctively walked to the door, called for one of the nurses or doctors from the nurse's station. They came in, the doctor did with the stethoscope. He put the stethoscope on dad's chest and he turned and pronounced my dad deceased. Then the doctor turned and did something unexpected. He said, can I pray with you? He proceeded to pray the most compassionate, the most tender, the most Christ-centered prayer I'd heard in quite some time. He said, I want to leave you for a few moments with your dad. And he turned and walked out of the room. I knew that dad was face to face with Jesus in that moment. But as I stood there at his bedside, looking at his lifeless shell, a thought like a tremendous tsunami wave just came over me. The thought was this. You're now the patriarch of your branch of the family tree. You see, when I was little, the family always turned to Leonard B. Register Sr., my grandfather, and, and he was the wisdom giver. He was the guide for the family. If you needed advice about one of life's big issues, you went to Ada, that was what we called him. And as a tender, loving sage, he would pour forth biblical advice. When he passed away, it was my dad's turn to be the patriarch. And so when there were one of those big issues in life that Charlene and I faced as young adults, we would go to dad for wisdom and counsel and guidance. But now it was my turn. And ladies and gentlemen, I cannot explain the weight of that responsibility that now rested on my shoulders. I began a year-long study of patriarchs in Scripture to see if I could discover what are the principles of being a godly patriarch? What, what, are, the, what are the life traits of a godly patriarch who, who guides his family well? You see, I, I have a branch of a family tree it's on the screen. Next slide. That's my branch of the family tree. It's not a big branch, but they're looking to me to be a godly patriarch. You, you know Charlene, you can see her there in the middle of the picture. That's where the queen is supposed to be. And you see the young man to the right of the screen with a beard. That's our son Chip, Charles Leon, registered junior. Next to him, his wife Amber. And then you see Charlie right in the middle between Charlene and I. Charlie is Charles Leon, registered the third. Next to him, that bright red-headed girl, Mary Margaret, and then little Miss Audrey in Chip's arms. And just over my shoulder, the birthday girl, Christina. Not a big family tree, but my branch of the family tree. And they would be looking to me to now be the godly patriarch of our clan. And so I invite you to come with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. For in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, we find a person who my study in that year of 2015 centered around, and I want to share with you over the next two Sundays what I discovered about the life traits of a godly patriarch. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4. Now observe how great this man was to whom... Abraham, the patriarch, 
gave a tenth of the choicest spoils. When you go home today, you read Hebrews chapter 7, and you see that really the focus is on Melchizedek, this, this priesthood of Melchizedek and how superior it was to the regular priesthood. But in the middle of focusing on the priesthood of Melchizedek, we find this man, Abraham. And Abraham is not called a patriarch. Abraham is not referred to in this verse as one of the patriarchs. Abraham is referred to as the patriarch. Definite article, patriarch. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there are several people in Scripture who are referred to as patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in the Old Testament referred to as the patriarchs. Jacob's 12 sons who become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, they're referred to as patriarchs. Even King David in the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, is referred to as a patriarch. But in Hebrews chapter 7, Abraham is referred to as the patriarch. If you want to look for a patriarch of patriarchs, Scripture carries us back to this man, Abraham. Known at one time in Scripture as Abram, known later in Scripture as Abraham, he is the patriarch of patriarchs in all of Scripture. And so it is his life that we examine the next two weeks. Now I want you to see something about this word patriarch that's used in verse 4. It comes from two root words, if you will, Patria, which speaks of the family, and ark, which speaks of ruling. And so Abraham, in this passage of Scripture, is, is described as the ruler of the family. Now, in this day and age, we don't think of patriarchs as rulers of families. But we do think of patriarchs as wisdom givers, as influencers, as guides, as molders and shapers of families. So this morning, I want you to think of patriarch in those terms. The one, patriarch, or perhaps even a matriarch for you ladies, but it is the person that the family looks to for wisdom, for influence, for guidance, for molding, for shaping. And if that is your role in your family, I want you to see today and tomorrow, excuse me, today and next week, the life traits of a godly patriarch. The first life trait that I want you to see is that a patriarch, a godly patriarch, enjoys an intimate relationship with God. Come with me in the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 41 and verse 8. A godly patriarch enjoys an intimate relationship with God. That's where it all starts. If you're going to be a godly patriarch or a godly matriarch for your family, you must first focus on your intimate relationship with the Father. Look how the scripture refers to Abraham. Isaiah 41 and verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant... Jacob, whom I have chosen, descendant of Abraham, my, what's the word, church? Friend. Wow. Scripture looks at Abraham, the patriarch, and God in Scripture calls Abraham my friend. 
Now today, we use the friend pretty loosely, the term friend pretty loosely, don't we? Anyone that we happen to know, anyone that we might know on a surface level, we sometimes refer to them as my friend. But the word that's used here in the Hebrew is not a surface level relationship. This word friend that's used in this passage of scripture speaks of a close, personal, strong relationship. This day and age, we we talk about someone's BFF. What does that stand for, church? Best friend forever. That's what this word is. This word speaks of a relationship that is your best friend. What, What picture comes to your mind when you think of your best friend? Perhaps it's your spouse is your best friend. Perhaps it's a person at work that you've worked beside for 20, 25, 30 years. They're your best friend. Perhaps your mind drifts back to someone from high school days and you've continued a long relationship with them. If you were to ask me today, Chuck, who are your best friends? I could begin to name for you several individuals, but they would not number more than five or so. Best friends. Those kind of people that you tell the deepest, darkest secrets, the the people that when you're struggling, you turn to and ask for advice. Best friends. If you were to ask me who my best friend is on earth, I would tell you about a man named Lamar Wiggins. Lamar Wiggins lives in lower Alabama, just outside of Mobile. I met Lamar when I became the pastor of First Baptist Church of Cantonment, Florida. His wife was my secretary. His wife came to me in the very first day I was there on the job and she said, would you help me baptize my husband? That was an interesting request. In my mind, I could see Mickey and I in the baptistry together trying to baptize her husband. What she meant was she had been speaking to her husband about the need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism and she hadn't gotten anywhere. She was hoping the new pastor could move the football just a little further down the field. So I went over to talk to Lamar about his baptism. In the course of that conversation, Lamar's son came to faith in Christ, and we baptized the son. And his daughter came to faith in Christ a little later, and we baptized the daughter. And finally, Lamar said, since my wife's been baptized and my children have been baptized, maybe it's time for me to be obedient and be baptized we baptized Lamar. And our friendship began. It's lasted these last 25 years. And I've, I've buried Lamar's wife. And I've buried his mother. And I buried his father. And I performed the wedding for his daughter. And I performed the wedding for his son. And I performed his second marriage. And when we laid my dad to rest... I looked up and you know who walked into the church service. Best friends through life. You have people like that in your life. Abraham's best friend is the creator. And the creator's best friend, by his own admission, is Abraham. Can you imagine being called the friend of God and even more for God personally to give a testimony about your life and say, you're my friend? A godly patriarch has an intimate relationship with the father. 
And ladies and gentlemen, what I want you to understand is intimacy takes, listen, don't miss this, proximity over time. You don't develop an intimate relationship simply meeting someone one or two occasions. You and I have been together as interim pastor and people for seven months. Many of you are my friends, but when we talk about best friends, when we talk about intimacy, it it takes proximity over time. Walking through life together over a long horizon, that develops intimacy. So how do you have intimacy with the Father? Well, you have to spend time in God's Word, and you have to spend time in prayer. Day in and day out, over a long period of time, when you and I spend time in God's Word, and we spend time talking to Him in prayer, that unity with the Father over time creates an intimacy that allows us to have an intimate relationship with the Father. If you're here this morning, and you're a grandfather, would you stand to your feet? Here's what I'm saying to us men. I'm saying the greatest legacy you can ever leave your family is for your family to know you're a friend of God. The greatest legacy you can leave your children and your grandchildren is for them to know that you have intimacy with the Heavenly Father. The greatest legacy you can leave your family is not that you built a wonderful business or or, or you possess a, a large amount of property or a very expensive home or even that you were respected in your community. The greatest legacy you can ever leave your family is for your family to know my grandfather walks with God. And the way you develop that is that over time, When the family's visiting, they happen to walk into the den and they catch you with your Bible open, reading and studying. They walk into the living room and they find you early in the morning before anyone else in the house is awake, on your knees, praying before the Father. And in those moments, they glimpse into your life and they see that you spend time in the Word and you spend time in prayer. It reassures them, my My granddad walks with God. The greatest legacy you can ever, ever leave. Please be seated, men. Now, I say that based on the authority of God's Word, but I also say that based upon current research. Let me me share with you about a study. It's called the Binkson Study. A professor at the University of Southern California named Vern Binkson performed a study that began in 1970. In 1970, he said, I want to discover how religious faith and practice is passed from generation to generation to generation. You with me? So he studied, don't miss this, he studied 350 families for 35 years. 350 families for 35 years. Here's what he discovered. He brought the conclusion of his study in 2005 when he wrote about it in the journals of his field. He found, number one, parents continue to be the single greatest influence on their children's faith. That is no surprise and no shock. Mom and dad, you are the most important marker in the life of your children to guide their religious development and their religious practice. 
If a child is raised in a home where they see mother and father loving the Lord, studying his word, praying, serving the Lord, they're much more likely to follow the Lord when they become adults. But don't miss point number two. Grandparents are a close second. The study found that grandparents, listen men, especially grandfathers, who were highly religious, were more likely to have grandkids who were highly religious. You you want a grandson or a granddaughter to have faith in the Lord and love the Lord and follow the Lord and serve the Lord? Then granddad step up to the plate and let your children and grandchildren see that flowing from your life. Mom and dad are vitally important, but grandparents a close second, especially the grandfather. So we look at Abraham's life, and Abraham has this intimate relationship with the Lord, so intimate that he's referred to as the friend of God. Secondly, trait number two, a godly patriarch has faith in the Lord, don't miss this, that activates obedience and culminates in worship. A a godly patriarch has a faith that activates obedience and it culminates in worship. Come with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We peek into Abraham's life when he's known in Genesis chapter 12 by the name Abram, same man, same biblical character. Look what happens in Acts chapter 12. Excuse me, Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now ladies and gentlemen, understand the profound nature of what God is asking Abram to do. Go forth from your country, this place where you're settled, this place where you've accumulated property, pastures for your livestock, watering holes for your livestock, this country that has become yours, that you've adopted, and now is your possession. I want you to leave your country. He said, I want you to leave your relatives, your kinfolk. By this point in the text, Abram's father has already passed from this life to the next, but but he's still surrounded by relatives, um, brothers and, and sisters and nieces and nephews. There's a support network, a social support network, a family support network. If something goes wrong in Abraham's life, he's surrounded by people who can help him and assist him. God says, I want you to leave your country and I want you to leave your kinfolk. Look what else he says in verse one. Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, your comfort zone, your father's house, your father's house that's filled with your father's servants, your father's house that's filled with your inheritance, your father's house that is comfortable culturally. God says to Abram, I want you to leave your country and your kinfolk and your comfort zone, and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. 
I'm not going to tell you right now where you're headed. I just want you to go to a place that in the future, I will reveal that to you. I will guide you to that location. I will show you in the future. I just want you to get up and start walking. Look what Abram does. Verse two, the Lord says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4, here it is. Do not miss this. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. No notation in Scripture of any kind of argument or questioning from Abram. Nothing but simple obedience. God says to him, leave your country and your kinfolk and your comfort zone. We might expect some debate. We might expect some questioning. We might expect some hesitation from Abraham. But he has a faith that activates obedience. And so in verse 4, it just says that he got up and went. Why? Because he had enough faith to believe that God would do what he said he would do. I want you, Abraham, to leave all that you're comfortable with, all that you know, all that is common to you. And I want you to go someplace that I have not revealed to you. You just start walking and I'll show you where you're supposed to go. And Abraham just has enough faith to believe that God's going to do exactly what God said he would do. And he packs up and he starts walking. He has a faith that activates obedience. But here's what I want you to see. And this faith culminates, don't miss this, it culminates in worship. Come back and look with me, verse 4. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Gentlemen, how would you like to be 75 and starting all over? Does that help us magnify Abram's faith? Abraham took Sarah's wife, Lot's nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Now skip down to verse 7 for time's sake. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Verse 8. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. This whole scene culminates with Abram building two altars unto the Lord, altars used for worship of the Father. He has a a faith that activates obedience. God says at 75 years of age, leave everything you know that you're comfortable with and go to a place that I'll show you in the future. Abraham goes and that obedience finally culminates with Abraham building altars to worship unto the Lord. A faith that activates obedience culminates in worship. But here's what I want you to see in the text. This becomes the pattern of Abram's life. Look with me, if you will, beginning uh, chapter 13. Look with me, chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. 
He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which had been made there formerly. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. It's the pattern of his life. Everywhere he goes, he, he stops in the midst of his obedience. He stops and there's an altar and he worships to the Lord. Now, the greatest example of this in Scripture is the example that we close with this morning. Come with me to Genesis chapter 22. This is the, the greatest example, the greatest peak into Abraham's life where we see this, this life trait of this godly patriarch that he has a faith that activates obedience and culminates in worship. Genesis chapter 22. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, the son that you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, between verse 2 and verse 3 is the longest night of Abraham's life. God speaks to Abraham. Abraham is certain that it is the Lord speaking. There's no doubt in his mind. And God says something that is, that is totally against the nature and character of the father. The, the father... The father rebelled against the concept of child sacrifice, but yet Abraham hears him saying, take your only son. And when he said your only son, he's saying to Abraham, the one through whom I promised you would be a great nation. Take your only son, the son that you love, and your future that's wrapped up in him. And you take him to a mountain that I will show you, and there you offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine how long that night must have been in Abraham's life? God has said, take Chip, offer him as a burnt offering. Place the name of one of your children in the story. God says to you, take, take your son, your daughter that you love, that is the center of your heart and the center of your universe, and offer them as a burnt offering. But look what Scripture says about Abraham. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early, in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Abraham rose early in the morning. If there's ever a moment of procrastination in your life, it would be that moment. But scripture says he rose early in the morning. He knew what God had called him to do and he had a faith that activated his obedience. And so he rose early in the morning to take his son to offer him as a sacrifice unto the Lord. Listen as I read verse 4. 
On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham moves from the longest night in his life to the longest journey of his life. Can you imagine what those three days must have been like? Here's Isaac doing all the things that little boys do on a journey. He's, he's throwing sticks and he's throwing stones and he's just enjoying life as a young child. He's having innocent conversation with his father. And his father knows in his heart that in just a matter of hours, he's going to have to claim the life of his son. Oh, that must have been a heart-wrenching journey. It, it must have been so difficult for Abraham to put one foot in front of the other, knowing what was on the horizon. But he has a faith that activates his obedience. Verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. There's a glimmer of his faith. Abraham took the word, wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. And here comes, here comes the most difficult conversation of Abraham's life. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father? He said, Here I am, my son. He said, Father, I, I see the fire and I see the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. A faith that activates obedience. Abraham goes all nine yards in, if you will. He's built an altar. He's placed the wood on the altar. He's bound his son and laid him on the altar. Isaac now understands what's about to take place. He's seen enough sacrifice in his young years that he knows that the one that is bound and laid on the wood on the altar is going to be the burnt offering itself. He knows exactly what his dad is about to do. Abraham reaches for his knife and draws back his hand to slay his own son. Faith that activates obedience. And then it culminates in worship. Oh, look at the end of the passage. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. A faith that activates obedience, extreme obedience. And it culminates in this beautiful scene of worship as the ram is sacrificed. And Abraham and Isaac worship unto the Lord with the most grateful heart. We're talking about life traits of a godly patriarch. 
A godly patriarch begins with an intimate relationship with the Father. Secondly, a godly patriarch has a faith that is so strong, it activates obedience. Even when God asks the irrational, it activates obedience. And it culminates in the worship of the Father. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. I constantly ask myself, as the patriarch of my family, do I really have intimacy with the Father? Does my family know I walk hand in hand with my Lord? And do they see in my life a faith that is so strong that I exercise radical, irrational obedience that brings me to the point of worship. Oh, what a legacy if I leave those two principles implanted in their mind and in their heart. The only way to be a gladly patriarch is to begin with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, I want you to know Jesus loves you. He died on Calvary's cross for you. Whatever is a part of your past, he will forgive if you will confess. And you can begin an intimate relationship with the Father through Jesus today. If you would come. We'll stand in a moment and begin to sing. And when we do, you just simply come and say today, I want to take a step of intimacy toward God through faith in Christ. I'll be delighted to share with you the, the principles of the gospel so that you can surrender your life to the master. Maybe your church membership is somewhere else and God is leading you to be a part of this church family. Would you come this morning? We'll handle all the details. Maybe, sir, maybe, ma'am, you just need to bow your head and say, Father, help me to be a godly patriarch or matriarch for my family. Would you make such a commitment this morning? Father, take this time of invitation. Speak to our hearts. Help us to be submissive to you and obedient to you. Help us to have intimacy with you. And a faith that responds in obedience. And ultimately culminates in worship. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Dr. Chuck Register, interim pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, visit us on the web at ebcraleigh.com.